I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, featuring a one-on-one -on -one conversation with interior designer Brendan Quinter Schwartz. We're talking about art and design, but also family. What value is there in design if you don't have loved ones with which to share it? Right? <laughs> Family. It's more important than design, art, or architecture, yet design, art, and architecture are invaluable because there are loved ones with whom to share it. The intrinsic value of design is often compared to that of art, and while I do love art, it isn't the same to me. Art, photography, even music, all things I am absolutely passionate about are not the same creative endeavors as that of interior design and architecture because there is a function that follows form that is not present in a single sensory creative endeavor. To sit in a cozy space, feel that material under a shared and focused light enhances the experience so much more when one is in the presence of family and friends. I love this side of design. Brendan and I explore this a little bit and cover some other associated topics. I hope you enjoy this conversation and another installment of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol with interior designer Brendan Quinter Schwartz. Before we get into our conversation for this week, I received an unexpected surprise in the mail. It was a copy of Unapologetically Chic, Ryan Sagian's new book. Ryan was last featured on the show in 2019, episode 221 for those of you who are playing the home game. If you would like to hear it, and I encourage you to do just that, you can find a link to that episode here in the show notes. You will also find a link to Ryan's book. I cannot think of a more appropriate title, seriously, than Unapologetically Chic, because Ryan is, <laughs> Ryan's both, always and that is what I love about him. It really is. He is also one of the most talented designers working today. Not one of the most talented young designers, not one of the most talented Los Angeles designers, not most talented Jewish designers, no. Most talented designers, full stop. He infuses a sexy, cool, and chic style into his work that becomes inextricably tied to the work itself. It's not a style, it's not a look or a feel, yet it's all of those at once. There are consistent through lines, whether you're looking at a monochromatic black and white or in living color. The work is in endued with, with attitude, one that very clearly says, you love this and you deserve it. There's a certain arrogance, too, that comes with the attitude. And... If that wasn't present, neither would the quality of the work. Everything is ideated upon a concept and placed to work together with, with a higher stature in mind from the case goods, soft goods, accessories. It, it's everything. Interesting, too, in this book, Ryan shares his creations with you, but doesn't rub noses in the stature or wealth of the clients themselves. It's just about the work. There are no clients named, only their spaces and locations. It's funny, at the time of my most recent conversation with Ryan published in 2019, 
but took place in 2018. I described him as, quote, an aggressive designer who attacks the space with luxurious finishes and a creative use of space, end quote. He is that now as much as when we spoke back then. Unapologetically chic. We'll be right back. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. Are the majority of your clients in Canada or do you have an equal amount here in the States? I, I have my office is in New York City. Okay. Um, and I am from born and bred in Toronto and I have a home here um, okay. and my family is here. That's why. And um, but recently we made a jump to Miami as our primary residence. So I go between and all, a ton of my clients have uh, acquired homes in Miami since the pandemic. So it's, I've been super busy there with work, crazy busy. Yeah. So I was going to, I was going to ask about that. Was, was the move primarily pandemic related? No, um, we made, we made the jump two years prior to the pandemic and I was very not down with the whole plan. I, I was very, um, uh, you know, reticent to take this. I, I love New York. I'm, you know, I'm, I had been there for 20 years. My office is there. My clients are there. You know, I just love the whole vibe and the art scene and everything. So Miami is always nice to go to for a short time to me, but anyhow, since the pandemic hit now, I love Miami. I was so happy. I, I kept thanking my husband for, for, um, making that decision on all of our behalfs. And my kids also, everybody was just like, we only want to be in Miami now. So it worked out really well. And then what happened was everybody, all my clients from New York and Greenwich, Connecticut and the Hamptons, everybody got homes in Miami. So I've just been slam busy there, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It's amazing too. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I try always to be very positive. But I spent a year in Fort Lauderdale and I, I could not get out of South Florida fast enough. Yeah, I know. So I guess I have a, I hear you. And I felt that way at first. Um, but I think that now I've kind of got into a little bit of a, 
of a groove. And I, I also travel around so much that I don't, like I'm not there long enough for it to not be like for me to go, I, I have to leave now. You know, like now I feel like, and I've got a ton of friends there because of all the New Yorkers who have moved there. And also um, they have a huge representation of Canadians and Toronto um, in the area where we are in South Florida. So um, I have tons of friends there, very busy, like very social, you know, and I have to say like, there's great galleries there happening. Art Basel yeah. is there. Like Art Basel is everything like, really that, that really, that I can feel the dynamic of the city changing at each year. Like since we moved there or made it our primary like four years ago, even from then to now, the the whole art scene and um, just feels like a lot of New York is moving down there. So you're getting more of a New York vibe. It's almost like, uh, I guess what happened in Austin, Texas, you know, like a lot of California people moving there. It felt like California to me. Like when I was there, I would never know I was in, in uh, Texas. I really felt like I was in, you know, La Cienega. Like there was just, it felt like it felt like LA 30 years ago before anybody really, you know, discovered it, like in the arts. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. And and it's really interesting too, because I, I completely get what you're saying. And it's fascinating to me what's happening post, I call it post pandemic, you know, because for all intent and purposes, this is the new reality where, you know, I was at Design Chicago in, de, in what, November, December, and, you know, I was going to go to KBiz and then bailed out at the last minute just because it, you know, a lot of people were dropping out and I felt that it probably wouldn't be the best use of, of time this year, but definitely next year. I think that we just have to have this flexibility and at the same time, traveling more and working more, you know, I'm working on a design house project in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm from LA, but I'm, I moved here for at least a year to work on this. You have to be traveling so much, but you're also having to learn how to work remotely and virtually. Have you been doing that for a long time or has that, has that been a challenge? What's the, what's the acclimation process been like for you? So interesting because, you know, my office is in New York. So I get clients who um, have summer homes in either upstate New York or in Hamptons. And, you know, I've done Hampton Show House and just had a lot of work in the Hamptons over the years. And, you know, that's a that's a fair commute back and forth. And um, I I've had very strict things with contractors they have to know they have to use their phone they have to be able to facetime me and i'm going back like 10 or 12 years like before it was just so common um but that was like number one like i can't i can't work with somebody who can't like a contractor who can't use their phone and show me every day what's going on in the project so i'm i was very used to that because of course i can't be everywhere i'm in in manhattan clients there and then clients you know in Hamptons and, and in Woodstock and it was just people spread out everywhere so I really needed the um it was just great to have FaceTime so I've just continued with that I mean of course at the same point I still need to be there like I, I started a project recently uh I guess in the middle of the pandemic a client moved uh to Greenwich uh Connecticut on the water and it was a brand new home. And 
I started it in October, 2020. So I guess we were into the pandemic, you know, five, six months. And I still had to travel there. Like I did a lot of stuff with her by FaceTime, but there's nothing like actually standing in the room, getting a feel, bringing samples there, working with a client. Like you still need that one-on-one and, you know, in face, like in-person um, dialogue and just, it's too hard to do everything remotely, in my opinion. It, you're not doing your client any service. So I, I was still flying around. It was, you know, the middle of the pandemic. I was in New York. New York was beyond dead. And, you know, I'd be the only person walking around in the design district, like in the D&D building. It was, it was really... It was at, like out of a movie. It was just the craziest feeling, but I got it done. <laughs> I got her house done and, you know, we're almost finished now. Um, but that was, that was really a challenge. Like to think that when I think back now of what was going on, like even my assistant would come meet me and, you know, she'd take the subway. She said she was the only person on the subway. Like there, it was almost just a ghost town. It was crazy, but we did it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's funny. L.A. was very much the same way. And um, I used that opportunity to go out with my daughter and go on some some photo shoots in and around L.A. to capture some things that normally, you know, there's just people everywhere. It was surreal. It was weird. I'm curious. What are some of the lessons that you learned? Because, listen, there is now that this has happened once, there is a very good possibility that this is going to happen again. Absolutely. And, and I, I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to say, well, we'll never be locked down like that again. It's very easy to say that should another virus mm-hmm. present itself like that was at the very beginning where there was no solution for it. I could very easily see that happen again. What did you learn as a designer how has that changed the manner in which you work as a creative? Completely changed everything. I, I just want to point out also, because I'm from uh, Toronto, we got hit with a pandemic that didn't spread to the U.S., but we had SARS here, you know, yeah. 18 years ago, 15 years ago. And um, that was really serious. So what you're saying, I, <laughs> I've said that to my kids many times. This isn't the first pandemic and it won't be the last. And you'll be telling your grandchildren about it. And there are major lessons here to be learned of what to do. First of all, always have masks on hand. (laughs) Number one, don't, don't let your closet run dry of masks. So have it in the back and just always be prepared. But in terms of the design world, you know, it just, it changed design so dramatically. First of all, people just moved. I mean, literally people were just moving in droves, like abandoning homes and apartments in New York, putting their furniture, their entire homes of furniture out on the street, like in Brooklyn, it was crazy what was happening and, and taking off and just going to either, you know, parents' homes or second homes or whatever, just leaving the city. Um, So you know, it just, people moved. So on the other side, at first I thought, oh, this is going to kill design. I'm going to be very, very, it's going to be really quiet for me now. That was my initial thought for the first few months. But then 
it completely got crazy because everybody needed at home office. That was number one. You know, they either, so ton of people moved or got new homes. So I was slammed with that. Then I was slammed with people within their homes that I've designed, wanting to make areas for kids to be learning online. I, in, in Toronto, especially Canada, people were locked down for almost two years. It was the longest lockdown of anywhere in the world. So schools were closed. Uh, my kids were off school the entire year, pretty much last year. Uh, my son, I have a, one son who's in university here. He's almost finished second year. He's never stepped foot on campus. It's been closed. So he's still online learning. Like, and he's doing engineering, which is crazy. So, um, you know, you, needed a, you need a place for yourself to work. Then you need a separate place where your kids can do their work. The other thing that became major is backyards. Just having a backyard became so coveted, um, you know, and, and then the attention to what's going on in the backyard with, you know, the most beautiful furniture and making it just with, uh, you know, fireplaces and being able to entertain. And people were inviting us over initially outdoors um, when the weather was nice. And, you know, everything was just have, going in the, everybody's backyard and um, serving out there and, which I love. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be outside. That that to me was the best part. I think. But well, and that's it, it's it's funny too because the the exterior for locations like Toronto, you know, I, I think Canada has more or Montreal and I'm not sure if it's Montreal in particular or Canada in general, but more pools per capita than any you guys have pools everywhere and you can only use them for two or three months a year. But I, I think it says something about the lifestyle and the manner in which Canadians or, you know, in a regional area want to live. How do you, how do you use that space when it's zero? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you won't, you're going to laugh when I tell you this. Are you ready? Uh, there's a lot of people who turn their backyards into professional ice skating rinks. What? <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like a really big thing here. Um, and it's becoming bigger. Like, it's definitely catching on. That that has become, and they use it all year round. Like, I mean, they have skating parties. They'll have outdoor barbecues. They'll have fire pits. Um, you know, things to warm up, hot tubs, you, kind of like when you're in Aspen um, skiing and, you, you know, it's cold and snowy and then you go into the hot tub, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, really uh, that having an outdoor ice skating rink is not uncommon in suburbs, like in the suburbs here, a lot of them are in the city. It's a different kind of city. So you're only, you have a home and a backyard, but you're only like 10 or 15 minutes from downtown Toronto. So it's not like New York where it's sprawl and you, you know, you, we had a home in Westchester and the drive, the commute is, you know, 45 minutes into the city. This is five or 10 minutes. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Canadians are born on skates and skis. I'm a skier since I'm three. So, you know, we, even in people's backyards now, we had a huge snowfall here 
uh, a few weeks ago, kids have been making ski jumps and, and snowboarding in backyards. <laughs> you are listening to my conversation with Brandon Quinter Schwartz. We'll be right back in just a moment. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project, Franz Wigner. A company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps. In 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires, manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality, premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, it is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets, and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit franzwigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? <laughs> F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. How does, how does that change the manner in which you design knowing that, you know, people are getting more extreme with their outdoor spaces, which I think is fascinating. And by the way, it's no different. I, I, I think what you're saying is completely true. You know, I, in Southern California, I was working with, um, I interviewed a, uh, an architect from Laney Architects uh, who did a home in Manhattan Beach that I was just fascinated by, a very small footprint. And the family wanted a pool, but they also wanted a, a place for the kids to play. So they crafted a pool that disappears. So the, the pool is, it just completely disappears. Engineering, it's an engineering marvel how the deck d- just goes b- beneath the water and becomes the bottom of the pool. And then when you want the pool to go away, the bottom comes up and it's a flat area for the kids to ride their bikes, run around. You can, it's amazing. I feel like we are in this renaissance of design and architecture where creatives like you are figuring out how to do new things in new ways by thinking differently. And I think that that's one of the things that this pandemic has, has brought about is a new way of thinking. Absolutely. And, you know, outdoor space, I've always loved working on that. Um, But I really feel like I'm doing a home now in Palm Beach. It was a client that I had from Greenwich and now they decided to make Palm Beach their primary residence. And it's a smaller footprint. It's a house near the uh, ocean, very close. Um, And they're actually, what we're doing is raising the outdoors. So the entire, there's a, it's an older home that needs to be renovated and there's an existing pool every inch of the outdoors is being raised five feet so that it's level with the indoor space so that we just want it to feel like one big space. The outdoors now, I mean, in nicer weather places, obviously, um, the outdoors now becomes just part of the indoor um, design. So even the stone that we picked, and we, we picked something fantastic. I love it. It's, it's local to Florida. It's called, um, it's like uh, 
Keystone and it's from the Keys mm-hmm. and um, it's gorgeous. And so we're just going to do one kind of stone all the way through from indoor and you know it gets a different texture outside like they do something to it they score it they do something to it so that it's not slippery near the pool but we're doing a lounge outside with the tv that comes down um and you know big uh l-shaped sofa so the outdoor honestly is just as important as the indoor in terms of design now so i've incorporated you know when you have to start thinking about Right, right from the start, the main thing is that we're going to take out their floors in their home. We're like, well, what can we put that will be beautiful right through that we can use, you know, indoor and outdoor that we don't, don't have to change the stone. We're going to put a fire pit out there. Um, it's just going to become another room. And truthfully, I use um, my, we have a condo on the beach uh, in Bell Harbor and I've turned we have a really large outdoor terrace over the ocean, which was why we bought the apartment. Um, and I've turned that into my dining room. I don't. I do not have an interior dining room. That is where we have all of our meals. And it couldn't. I mean, I, I've had parties there for forty people out on the ter- terrace. Like I, I have such a, a long thing that I can seat a lot of people there, and I love to entertain. So. It was great during the pandemic. Also, I have to say, I'd have people over and they were okay to come outdoors. You know, I just say, you come in, wear your mask. You can take, we'll sit outside. I separated everybody a little bit and it was fine. Many times I've had people there during the pandemic. So, and instead of inside my home, um, I don't have a dining table, but I put a pool table so that it was fun. (laughs) So that was, that got a lot of use, but um, you know, it's reimagining space, like not using space necessarily how traditionally you would use it, I guess. Um, and thinking about all like eating in restaurants became a problem, right? During the pandemic. So to me, it's like, I just want to put my, make the terrace, my outdoor eating space so that I can have friends over and family and not be worried that that has, I think that's been foremost on everybody's mind. And I don't think that's going away. Honestly, I think that everybody, everybody who's lived through this um, is going to, it's not going to be forgotten quickly. And um, it's going to really change what we do going forward. That's my feeling about it. Yeah, no, I I think so too. I, I was talking to another architect who air conditioned the outdoor kitchen in a, in a Houston home. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. Okay. I, I love these ideas. I think they're fascinating. I think it's really, really interesting how the spaces are changing. And, you know, it's, it's funny because doing, doing the show, you know, eight, nine years ago, talking about how, you know, the home has so dramatically changed that formal living rooms really don't make sense anymore. How a formal dining doesn't really make sense anymore. Some people still want that. I think there's a difference between the highest end in luxury and the way the rest of everyone else lives. But I think that there are certain ideas. If you've got a 20,000 square foot home, yeah, put there's a formal living, there's a formal dining, just because what else are you going to do with it? You know, you may already have the bowling alley. You may already have the the billiards lounge. But what's interesting is the way that the majority of people live right now, 
you know, the average home in the in the United States is still, you know, 33,500 square feet. It's really that 2800 to 3500 square feet is really the majority of of where homes coast to coast you get into LA or New York and you're dealing with much smaller footprints in apartments or homes. I think it has forced creatives to think differently about what they do and how they do it. I, I'm interested to know too how because you can't ignore the fact that getting material is still such a hassle. And I'm curious, you know, dealing with it here at this design house, what certain spaces were supposed to be done in October, November, but now it looks like March. It just it is what it is. You can't get Wait, mad from about October it. to March. Yeah. Oh my goodness! What what was it? What what was it, the certain, hold up? Certain, certain, FF&E is certain furnishings that you know certain fixtures that that it's like oh well they're it's not going to be October now it's December okay well December then turned into February now February turns into the end of March there was a rug that we were going to get in you know at the end of January and now it's not going to get here until the end of March okay you know you can get mad about it but it is what it is you can do the reselects which take up a lot of designers time these days is trying to do these reselects because it's it's not easy you still have the same challenges or you can you know think through things some designers i've spoken with are starting to stockpile a lot of materials some designers are putting furniture in their own homes and when it makes sense for their clients they'll shift it over to a client's project how how has this affected you what are some of the things you're yeah. doing no, it's completely accurate. Um, so I just uh, have been working on an office here for a therapist in Toronto. And um, it was all new space needed to be renovated. Every single piece of furniture that we have gotten ha had to be in stock. I won't order anything that's not in stock. So that's really been a huge shift it doesn't make, it makes it very difficult. So, I mean, obviously I'm gonna have sofas, things custom made for larger projects. This wasn't a large project, but it was still, um, you know, any website that we went on, any store that we went to, any of the design things, it had to be something that was already made. And the first thing we looked at was when is it gonna be delivered? Like how, what's your delivery time on it? You know, and, and and the delivery times were exactly what you just said. Like they're going from, this was in, uh, we were looking at stuff in December, the beginning of December. They were, it started looking like it would be March, then it went to, you know, May and then June, like I kept getting updates. And then it was like, nope, cancel. Just cancel, cancel, cancel. Can't do any of this. You know, nobody's waiting that long. So I don't know what's gonna happen. And I don't know how this, I, I'm sure you've heard about like the truckers, uh, in Canada and the bridge. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, I have no idea how this is going to work out, but, um, you know, they've had all kinds of problems in the States too, just getting things uh, like shipments into uh, like piers. They haven't had room to unload boats. So it, it is definitely on everybody's mind. And you, it, you're making me worried now because I'm just starting this project in Palm Beach about, and, and we have a specific date that they need to be in. So I'm going to have to make sure that every, the other thing is it's very hard to time. So like if I order things now, some things could be ready in the summer. I don't need them until October. So 
I'm going to have to get storage space, like, you know, white glove storage space where somebody opens the, uh, the items, inspects them, repackages them, stores them. It's very expensive. I mean, that adds on a level of expense that nobody was thinking about. So that's something to keep in mind. I, I know there's all kinds of shortages also with any kind of construction going on it. And, and the prices have become, you know, up 25, 30% like on different things. I know lumber was up and then it came down. I don't know what it's doing right now, but um, it's definitely affecting every project. And I'm, it, it's stressful as a, as the designer. Cause I, you know, I want, I like to be on time. I want to, People like I want. I want to give them the best service that they can, the best experience with the least grief. I, I take on all the grief. My team takes on all grief, all problems. I always say that I get paid to fix all the problems. Um, you know, so you know things come in wrong size, wrong color. You know, there's problems with uh, something's coming broken. I mean, it's just part of business. So um, that's just adding. You know, to have to go and wait now for another item to come, and it's going to take four or five months is a problem. Yeah, it, it is. I, I'm interested too. How has this changed the, the man? I, I love this conversation because every time I speak with, with new designers, architects, I'm learning more and more about how you're approaching the work itself. You know, the, the product and the product issues. At some point, we're going to be through supply chain issues. But what's being learned now is sort of the, what's, what's new? What's new in the way, you know, clients now are asking for things in their homes that they never really asked for before because they want better, smarter internet connections. Yes. They, they, want, they want noise abatement and new products that will, you know, shelter them from the noise from the dog or the, or the neighbor's gardening and people are so close together, the lawnmowers. I think this idea, I, you know, a lot of my partners in the, in the program, we focus on wellness and this idea of incorporating new ideas of wellness into the home in Miami, you know, the idea of wellness and steam and sauna within a home, the idea of crafting this indoor outdoor kitchen environment is these ideas have been around for a long time, but now the product have been catching up to the desires. And I, I'm, I'm interested to know how this has affected your practice. Um, definitely everything that you've said has come up. It just in terms of, you know, I'm also dealing with a lot of millennials, a little bit older than, you know, 30 something in that age. And I've learned a lot. It's, it's unbelievable how I love listening to even 25 year olds, like what they want, their dream home, what, what their desires are. And, you know, this red sauna thing is a huge thing. So I've had clients say to me, I want a red sauna in, in my home, incorporate it, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the other thing that's become really uh, difficult because gyms were closed you know, I'm dealing with places. I, I have I, I cover a wide swath, right, from Toronto down to Miami. So different weather situations in Miami. Great, you can go outside. You can go for a run on the beach. You know, there's tons to do outside. Play tennis. There's tons to do. When you're in Toronto and or New York, and the gyms are closed, 
that has become a huge thing. Um, people just want gym incorporated into, like if you're living in an apartment and you want a Peloton, you know, or uh, weights or, you know, different things, it's gonna be incorporated into your living space, right? So, and, and make it look nice at the same time. So I'm really into function. So I, I think the things should be very functional and I would, um, and comfortable. Everything has to be comfort and function to me. And obviously you want it to be as beautiful as you can, but even for my own kids in art, we have a, we have a few condos that we were going to combine in Toronto. And, um, you know, I said to them, I'm good to put, to make one condo area, like just all office and uh, gym area for you guys, you know, so that you can go work out during the day. You can be doing your Zoom calls. You need to be able to get up and also like walking desks, those sorts of things. Like everybody wants to, you know, be up and burning calories and not sitting for hours at a time and walking desks have become hugely, or even standing desks. I have them all over my home, just that, you know, my kids want to stand up when they work um, and then they want to go and work out. They're all, all of them are into major workouts. So that's influenced me. It's funny. I'm very, and, and they're in that age, like with millennials. So, um, you know, I, I get a lot from them of just, they want it to be fun also. Like they want fun environments. They want to put their pinball machine in the living room. Like I, I've had to do such crazy things, but I was actually ecstatic because um, not long ago, I think in the fall, uh, Architectural Digest had uh, Cara Delevingne, like the model, her home on the cover. And it was her, I think it was, she lives in LA, beautiful home. And it had her living room and she had a pinball machine in her living room. And I was like, yes. And she said, this was my idea. She said, it just got to be fun. Like I've got pool tables. And, you know, I want, I want the kids, I want people to come over, can't go out as much as you could, can't go to bars like you could before. I mean, now things are opened up, but um, in Toronto, they were closed again all of January. So, you know, the kids want to be able to have, when I say kids, I'm saying, 25 year old, you know, to 30 year olds, they want to be able to have friends over, they want to have drinks here, they want to play pool, they want to play pinball, you know, or they'll have people over and start doing the workouts together during the day. So they're trying to be healthy, be in shape, do their work. I, honestly, I feel like homes are just going to look nothing like they look now, like that traditional model just is broken. It's over. <laughs> it's over. And we've moved on to like next things. Do you think that um, it, it's funny because we have this this tendency in in design in particular to kind of shift back to to the way things were that over time you know new ideas come and go I think you know the idea of the home gym I I think home gyms are magnificent I think that they've kind of proven through this pandemic experience that a home gym beats going to, I don't know why people still go to physical gyms, you know, going to a place where they have the ways, why not just get them and have them in your home? Maybe they like, maybe some people just need that motivation about of being around other people. Um, That's true. But I, I, I but, like that. I yeah. Like yeah. But, but I feel too, like some of these new ideas are really changing the, the way that people live. 
I'm telling you that in my building in Toronto, somebody took over, uh, a family who live here, took over an apartment that was for rent, an empty apartment, and made it their gym and kids' playroom. It's, you know, 1,500 square feet. So they made one area, full-on gym area, and with all the machines and everything. And the other area, they made it like a summer camp because all camps were closed and they had little children. So they used the whole other area just for the kids' camp. Like that, that was worth it for them to pay the rent on the apartment just to have the extra space. You know, it's a little different when you're in condo versus a home where you have a basement or an outdoor space, you know, you're, you're lacking that. So I thought that was just, I'd never heard of that or seen anybody do that in a building. And I've lived in many buildings, you know, having lived in New York for so long, but um, you know, I, I thought that was, it was the future, <laughs> you know, they wanted the space and all gyms were closed. Camps were closed. They made their own things happen. I thought that was great. I was, I, I'm all for that. And I think that going forward, I, I just don't think that's going away. I, I feel like also younger people, like the millennials, they're, they're much more casual. They're not fancy. They, they want to be comfortable and they want to have fun. They want it to be a fun environment and they're very into health. And, you know, it would be more important to have a Peloton in their living room than, you know, a fancy uh, games table or something way more important for them to have to put that Peloton there. Do you know what's really funny and kind of interesting is I remember doing panels at events, um, hosting them or, or even just sitting in and taking them in. And some of them are like, if you want to go listen, I think you can find some in past episodes of Convo by Design. You're going to have to go deep. We just posted like episode 360 something. You'll have oh to go God. back to the to the 200s or you know, to, to hear these. But I remember these conversations about, and for a while there was, there was this three or four year period of time where it's like, what do millennials want? Designing for millennials you know, crafting the, the urban spaces that millennials will buy. I mean, there was this, this, there was such a problem. It was such a challenge for creatives in the design community to try to figure out and the manufacturers and the showrooms too, what exactly do millennials want? Because they, they buy differently. They shop differently. They live differently. You know, many of them, of whom are still, you know, at the time millennials are starting to come of age now, but, you know, they were living in their parents' basements was the big joke. And, right. But it was true in many cases. They were still living at home. And this idea that came out of, that came from this millennial generation, I, I think is fascinating. And I'm, I've become a very big fan of it. They didn't, they didn't just go in and buy everything new and make a wholesale change of a space. They would invest in one thing. You know, and maybe that one thing were sneakers or maybe that one thing was a watch or maybe that one thing was a car. Not many, but maybe some wanted a car. Those in who love design, maybe they bought a piece of art or they bought a really, a really high end piece of furniture and then surrounded it with something else from from West Elm or RH or or Ikea or Target or Home Depot. And it it made you realize that there is an absolute place for the true high-low mix. 
I think the high-low mix is an art form that really well-skilled designers have have come to understand, you know, because it doesn't change the individual facets of design. It just changes the manner in which you shop for the things that you're trying to design around. Have you seen the same thing? And because you work with so many millennials, is is that idea, are you finding that same idea to be true? Absolutely. Um, and I like it. I, I like, I dress that way also. I don't like everything to be on one level. You know, I always say, I, I'm happy to go to Chanel for my shoes or purse, but I'm also happy to, you know, just go to J. Crew for the rest of the clothes. Like I, I, I don't like it to all be one, one way or the other. And I think the design is like that as well. And I, I have to say the stores, CB2 <laughs> particular, I mean, some of the stores have done such an outstanding job of basically, I feel like, you know, just really taking great design. They're looking at what really top designers are doing and going there, you know, um, they're, it, sometimes it's hard to distinguish when I'm in one of the stores, wow, I, I'll look at a design, I go, wow, that just looks like, you know, I'll, I'll go back to uh, mid-century designers or um, current, like very hot designers. I'll, I'll know exactly who they were, who they had in mind, who they were inspired by, by a chair or, um, and they've done a fantastic job. You know, I don't know how the quality, I'm not sure. I just have not having used it, but, um, like for, you know, over time, but also, you know, even high-end furniture gets used and doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you, after a while, things need to be recovered or, or fixed. So I, I think that has been a great trend. And it's also enabled people to do a lot more on their own. Um, I still think that people struggle and like designers input because, you know, the space design, spacing things is very difficult. And even picking colors is difficult, picking paint colors is difficult, room layouts are difficult, like those sorts of things. You can buy a beautiful, you know, sofa and chair, but how is it placed? And then what size rug do you need? Like thing, things that are, uh, I, I feel like that's where designer brings in uh, value and um, it's important. But that I, I, I like the mix of the high and low. Um, and I, I really think the stores have stepped up and done, you know, um, RH also. I mean, not that their stuff is low. I have to say RH price, price point can be, meet anything in the design building. It, there's, you know, um, they're going for a higher price point. But CP2 West Elm, they've done some really, really good stuff. And it's nice. And I, and I think millennials are just so comfortable now, you know, going online, ordering furniture, they don't even need to see it in person. Boom, it's there. I've seen a lot of um, kids like, you know, out of college, but not yet bought a place like in rentals, do it. And, and the homes of like the condos or apartments have come up beautiful, beautiful. So. Yeah. And what's, in, what's interesting too, is um, this, this new idea of ordering furniture that is, 
you know, lower, lower cost per se. And maybe it's not perfect. Maybe the lines are, but the fabric isn't. Right. And or it's not like comfortable. I find the comfort thing sometimes lacking. The look is there. The comfort isn't so much. Like I've gotten excited about sofas and gone into the stores to sit on them. And I'm like, no, this is, this is terrible. Like I, I, like I can feel it, you know? I mean, of course, I'm coming from a different perspective of I know like the top top of the uh, top lines and then sitting on something that, you know, from one of the stores, uh, you really have to check it out. Like the comfort level is really important. I think that it's hard to order it online, never having sat in something, you know, whether it's a sofa or a chair. I mean, certainly if it's a cabinet, that's a different story. But if you're talking about anything that has to have a comfort level, highly recommend you have to go in and, and try it out. But definitely the style is there. So, you know, that that says something. Well, what I was going to say is that I, I find it interesting that you you come up with something from a from a, you know, from a CB2 or changing the material and and taking it to a workroom. So you order the new material, the new product, take it into the workroom on delivery make it more comfortable, change it. Sometimes it has been, what I've seen a lot of designers do is sort of that's a that's been a workaround for not being able to get a more expensive product or to get something that the client really loves instead finding something else and turning it into that. I've seen a lot of designers in most of the major cities have been, have turned into pickers. You know, they're they're out searching Craigslist and eBay and they're going to garage sales and they're finding things that they're just going to strip all the way down to the frame because the frame, you know, maybe the furniture was made in the 60s or the 50s and it's still remarkably well crafted, but it's just stylistically out of out of style or out of touch for the client. And then they're turning it into something. I I think the idea of not just ordering something all the time, but finding something and crafting it into a, a unique piece is amazing. That's one of my favorite pastimes. I go to every estate sale. I love in New York. I was totally spoiled where, where we live. Unbelievable estates and the sale, the things that went on. And I had a very good relationship with people who ran the sales and um, I would go, you know, every week and um, the fines are, uh, to me, it's just, it's fun. And I've taken tons of furniture and uh, remodeled it and uh, placed it in clients' homes. Fantastic pieces. It's got to be a mix. That to me is a bigger uh, mix. I, I don't, I, I always say, I don't want it to look like a showroom. I don't want the room to finish and look like you're in a showroom. It's got to have personality and it has to have the client's personality. You have to read, you know, if I have a very edgy client, then I need edgy furniture in there. Like I, the room has to feel like I look at my clients and then, and how they're dressed and how they come across and the rooms end up looking like my clients. Um, it's something that just happens in the back of my brain somewhere. So, you know, people who are a little bit more traditional, the room comes out a little more traditional and gorgeous young clients who were very rock and roll. The room definitely had that edge to it. Um, like young, fresh, very hip. Um, definitely. I said to them, they could pick up every piece in that uh, apartment and move to Soho and they were in a home in Westchester. And I said, you can just move everything here to Soho and it will all work. It will be perfect. 
So, but I definitely agree with you. I love the mix. I'm very into mid-century. Um, you know, I've got great dealers I work with in Manhattan, but I still love to go to estate sales and find things myself. <laughs> That's definitely a pastime. It's super fun, right? So fun. I, I actually could do that as my full-time job. I, if, I would be very, very happy. If you had to uh, break out the crystal ball and predict what, you know, what you're seeing now that you're absolutely loving that you see on the horizon in design that maybe people aren't really talking about right now, what might that be? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's a good question, but I will tell you that I absolutely love, I learn so much from creators like you, you know, because you, you do have your finger on the pulse. You have to know what's coming. Like, for example, I will tell you, I learned something recently um, about a designer using Gen Air warming drawers in the bathroom. Tell me, tell me, tell me. That's so interesting. That is a phenomenal idea. Yeah, because they wanted to take the warming bar off the wall and put the towels in a warming drawer in the cabinetry. And I thought that was absolutely genius. Wow. That is okay. That, that, that's really clever. I love that idea. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I haven't had anything as creative as that. That that's really, I love that idea. And it's funny that you say that because I'm doing uh, renovation in this home in Palm Beach, and we're doing uh, we have five bathrooms in that house, and we were just talking about towel bars. Didn't put any in, and then the client's like, "I really like the towel bar," and I'm thinking, "I really don't like the way that that's going to look." You know, it just gets messy. People throw the towels on. You know, kids come in. It's just messy. Um, but that's interesting. I may take that. <laughs> I may take that idea um, back with me. But you know, I think that there also is just people are very conscious of, you know, reusing, repurposing things, um, you know, and using things that are um, indigenous to the area, which I really like to do. Like I said about the key keystone being used in Florida, I, I want things to feel authentic. And I, I get that a lot from my clients. They don't, they want it to feel like wherever we are, that it, that we're using things from that area, um, repurposing and uh, not, not, you know, take people are very conscious of how, how their design is impacting the earth. And, you know, I've definitely gotten way more um, uh, into that over the years. And part of that is that estate sale thing that I said, like, I like that because I'm taking things and, you know, just reusing them. And it feels, it feels good. Like, I feel like, okay, you know, there's another 30 years in this chair or sofa and nobody had to go and do anything to create a new one. And, you know, that, that's a great feeling, but um, it, I, I think I've worked more in what you're saying, just in terms of using spaces differently. Like I've taken dining rooms and made them into bar area and uh, desk area so that you have a, a beautiful bar, you have a great desk to work at. There's no longer a dining area there. And then I've taken the dining area and just 
incorporate it into the kitchen. People are happy to sit in the kitchen and have their dinner. Um, they need, you know, I think that with younger people that they want to be close to the cities and they're happy to be in smaller spaces. So you have to really repurpose it. The space has to be thought of in just break the mold. Like, you know, what happens to a lot of people I see if there's furniture in a room that they're going, they're going through a, an open house and a room is set up with a dining room. They think that that's the dining room and they can't get that thought out of their head. And I think that what, as soon as I come into it, I look at things and go, that, that makes no sense that we, you know, this could be really used in a different way. That's much more functional and just changing all the rooms around. You have to kind of like be open and always easier to do with younger people. They're more, much more open to new ideas and not set in like, okay, no, I need that formal living room. Um, so I think that that's been, that would be more the, uh, what I've seen. And I think that that's going to get, there's more of that. You know, I think that that's going to be much more um, common, I guess, with smaller spaces, city living, uh, you know, whether it's in New York um, or even Toronto, the footprints are not big, as you said, in the homes mm -hmm. or in a condo. And you really have to use every inch and think of it, think outside of the box, not how everybody has always just had living room, dining room, you know. Um, so that, that's been a huge shift that wasn't happening before, like 10 years ago, that wasn't happening. I, I can see a shift in that now. Yeah, absolutely true. And I love that. And I also love that you made the time to chat with me today. This was so much fun. So fun. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I learned things too. So I'm, I'm happy. Thank you. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful incredibly durable and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Brendan. I loved our time together. For more about Brendan and her firm, please check the show notes for links. Thank you, Comfobi Design Partners, Thermosol, Article, Furniture, York Wall Coverings, Franz Wigner, and Moya Living. If you would like to learn more about any of these amazing partners, please check out the show notes for more. And thank you for spending part of your day or night listening to the show. I appreciate you and hope these conversations help your design business. I hope they make a project go more smoothly, provide some inspiration, or just provide some company on your hike or your drive. Remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it.
be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.